Hey, hey, hey. Howdy, y'all. I'm Kirby. I'm Katie. And we are the Killer Babes. Yes. Podcast. Podcast, Inc. Incorporated. TMR Circle. <laughs> TLDR. <laughs> um, welcome back, y'all. Yeah. I guess I'm in a country mood. I don't know what that is. Yeah, that's like the third um, country voice you've whipped out in 10 seconds. Remember when we played the oh we played an accent game the other weekend and every single accent, all I could do was a <laughs> southern accent. <laughs> I was so bad at that game. I was game. so bad too. It was really fun. If you're looking for it, I think it's literally just called accents. And it gives you these so. weird phrases that's like, I don't know, something. Like a, just a random ass phrase that you would say. Yeah, like my grandma went to the country store to pick up some chicken or something. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> it's super random. But then on the other pile, you have to pick an accent. And everyone has to do that accent, but they all get to pick different cards from their hand. So everyone's saying nonsense sentences <laughs> in an accent like robot, Italian. There's it'll be like, like Valley hillbilly girl. Yeah. Or one was like one was crying, having a baby, pooping. having a baby. <laughs> yeah, like things like that. It was actually really funny. It was so. But funny. I don't know how to do anything besides southern apparently, so I try to swing it all like that. I couldn't do any <laughs> of them except in my normal voice. <laughs> You just like said it fast and hope it like something. I also used the same phrase like 12 times and no one noticed. I didn't notice. Yeah, it was pretty good. But if you did see on our story last time on Instagram, Killer Base Podcast, we bought sketchy pills off oh. Amazon. Totally legal. Yeah, the I mean, they're not just <laughs> okay. Well, they let's explain what they are. They're um, like those miracle berry pills that are supposed to make. Um, sweet things taste sour and sour things taste sweet. Why did we get this? I have no idea. It was one weekend when we were It was literally last weekend and somehow it came up and I was like, yeah, I'd like to try that. And you were like, I just bought it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, all right. (laughs) Amazon is a dangerous place, people. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so we did it and yeah, it was kind of an emotional roller coaster. I did not We just did it and like, it was so weird because it worked. Yeah. It changes your sweet taste buds to sour temporarily because I think basically it coats your tongue with like blockers or receptors I don't to know, your taste buds. But like, how can it just block? Because I would think if you just blocked it, that it wouldn't taste like anything. Yeah. But like we ate a lemon slice before too to like be a control because we're very mm-hmm. scientific here. Yes. And it tasted like a freaking lemon, like it was sour. And then we took the berry. And it tasted like a candy lemon. Like we it was were saying. so like it tasted good. Like it was coated in sugar. Oh, it was so good. And we had a couple other stuff, and then we were like, "Okay, this everything just started like mixing together yeah. and tasting weird." And then my stomach felt funny, and now my mouth still feels really weird. Yeah, and I feel like I'm like salivating. Yeah, me too. Right. <laughs> All I can think of is that lemon, that candied lemon. It was good. I just my mouth feels like I just ate a shit ton of sugar. But, like, I didn't. We didn't have any. Well, besides, like, uh, the lemonade mix. Yeah, we tried lemonade powder to see. I don't know. It messed with my emotions. And the wine, too. So we were drinking wine beforehand. Yeah. Watching a movie that will later lead into some very unscientific research. And (laughs) that was more for fun. But then we had the wine after. And the wine was so bad. It was terrible. Yeah. I don't even know, like, why. Like, I don't really know what it tastes like. I thought it was kind really of, like, sour. Tasted bad. Like, it went bad, yeah. kind of. Like, maybe it was five weeks old after it had been opened, and it was just really bad. 
Yeah, wasn't my favorite. Mm-mm. In Mm-mm. fact, like I would do, I would do this again if like I could think of something really, another food that would be really cool that would to taste do. like cool with it. But besides that, I think I did it once and I'm <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if well, anyone wants any, there's eight left out of the pack. So if anyone would like some, Jeez. hit me up. <laughs> Very interesting though. This is what we do with our Saturday nights. If anyone was wondering, yeah, we <laughs> record an episode and try taste bud changing pills. It's wild. It kind of was a wild time. Yeah. I mean, we did take a risk. Amazon is verified, but we took a risk. It's pretty good. Good stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Well, before we had these yes. miracle berries, mm-hmm. we watched a movie. And what movie was that? Well, I will tell you. <laughs> this is what Kirby was talking about for our research, because <laughs> this is what we did this week. We're going to bring you a pretty scary story that you may have seen and heard from the classic cult movie, The Conjuring. Yep, we just watched it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie, The Conjuring, based on the true story of ghost hunters Ed and Lorraine Warren, The Conjuring House is an actual 18th century farmhouse in Rhode Island where Roger and Carolyn Perron, Perron? I think it's Perron, probably. It's Perron. And their five daughters were allegedly harassed and possessed by spirits. It's um, Harrisville, Rhode Island, which mm-hmm. we, I don't know where that is. We were just going to look it up. Maybe oh, we will. Right. Should we do that now? Sure. Okay. Oh, it's pretty close to Connecticut, actually. Oh, yeah. Which makes sense close. because they were coming from Connecticut. Wait. Yeah, that's pretty close to me, too. Wow. Oh, yeah, it's up there. It's up there. So it's it's like north it's northwest Rhode Island closest to three ninety five I guess or one forty six it's kind of in the middle I guess it's on the Massachusetts Rhode Island line almost yeah and it's also not doesn't look like it's too far from Connecticut no anyway the success of The Conjuring led to an entire franchise which explored more of Ed and Lorraine's real life cases. The Conjuring 1, 2, and 3 delves into, delves into the hauntings and possessions of people the couple helped. And the Annabelle series 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> and The Nun and The Curse of La Llorona uncover stories of the supernatural items the investigators collected or wrote about. The entire eight-movie franchise, according to thenumbers.com, have grossed a cool... One, let's see if I can even <laughs> read this number. $1,905,400,461. And they left out the cents, but that's cool. They might have just rounded up to the nearest okay. dollar. Yeah. I think people get the point. <laughs> About $2 billion. Ugh, that's crazy. So let's get down to the details here, folks, because we are the killer babes after all. Mm-hmm. How true is this so-called true story? Well, we should probably start with the real-life couple of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are probably the most famous paranormal experts in the United States. They investigated a slew of high-profile cases, numbers up in the 10,000s, and some of these include the more famous Amityville House and, in 1952, founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. So that's pretty cool. That is really cool. I... I've never heard of it. The oldest one in New England, founded in 1952. Yeah. No one cared about ghosts until then, I guess? Maybe they started one on the West Coast. Maybe there's a famous couple out on the West, but 
I mean, Ed and Lorraine, they're pretty, like, household names. Yeah, and all the ghosts originated here, if we're being honest, so. Mm, yeah, the only ghosts that are probably out west might be gold miners and uh, Oregon Trail. <laughs> what? <laughs> Those are, like, the only old People things People that died in the Oregon there. Trail. Yeah, maybe. There were some pretty crazy stories out there. Yeah, according to the video game. <laughs> oh, my God, I love that one. <laughs> but, okay, so. Ed Warren was a World War II veteran and a former police officer who became a self-professed demonologist after studying the subject on his own. His wife, Lorraine, claimed to also have been a clairvoyant and medium who was able to communicate with the spirits and demons that she and her husband came in contact with. So, over the years, the Warrens began housing and exhibiting their supernatural demon-kicking spoils Mm. At the Warren's Oculent Museum in Occult! 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 You added ten num- letters! I did. I added E and <laughs> a little word. A lot! Occult. Mm. In Monroe, Connecticut. <laughs> Which, classic, guys. <laughs> classic. Okay, so I get because in the movie, someone asked, they were like, why don't you just burn this house down? And in the movie, their answer was, well, you can't just get rid of a demon that easily. Sometimes it's better to keep the genie oh. in the bottle. But does it have to be in your house? What do you mean? Oh, does the museum have to yeah. be in your house? No. <laughs> the answer to that, I feel like, is no. Could it not be in a great storage unit that's padlocked and keyed? Could it not be <laughs> another property like besides your in house? next state over? Like... <laughs> Just some thoughts I had. I guess someone's going to upkeep it. That is true. Mm. Okay, so the Warrens Occult Museum has been open since 1952 when the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research. The collection of artifacts were first kept in the basement of their own home. See? You you don't have to do that. (laughs) We should have told them. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to. Coming from Warrens.net, the museum houses a shadow doll that can come to you in your dreams and stop your heart. There's a satanic idol that was found deep in the woods of Connecticut. The famous conjuring mirror, a vampire's coffin that was used by a modern-day vampire, masks used as a topa for diabolical projections, a child tombstone that was used as a satanic altar, and a famous organ that plays by itself. There was a lot of creepy stuff in that basement. (laughs) There's a lot more that they house, but those are the most famous ones. Um, The most famous in this eccentric collection, though, is something that you're probably very familiar with. A Raggedy Ann doll, which is responsible or allegedly responsible for a death of a young man and multiple attacks on those who once mockingly came in contact with it. Better known as Annabelle. Annabelle has been exercised. And not exercised like, (laughs) go, lift, yes, go. Go to the gym. Sign up for Planet Fitness. Exercise like we cast the demon out of you. (laughs) Which sounds way more exciting than Planet Fitness to me. Well, Planet Fitness gives free pizza and bagels. I don't know how you can. You go to the gym in the morning for the bagels? I don't. No, so. But the pizza, it's worth your money just to go. I always miss it. I always miss it. You gotta start utilizing it better. (laughs) It's exercised several times, but not the good kind or the bad kind. I'm not sure if either are good. But it's believed that some energy is still attached to this doll. Annabelle today sits in her own glass case, backlit by a haunting red light. Again, I think they could have chosen a regular soft white light or something. But... Something LED and yeah. environmentally conscious, but sure. National Grid could probably hook them up. <laughs> when Ed Warren passed away on August 23rd, 2006, 
Lorraine and her son-in-law, Tony Spera, kept the museum open to the public, but on April 18th, 2019, Lorraine Warren passed away, and the status of this museum is uncertain. Right now on their website, the occult museum is closed due to zoning regulations, and they are currently looking for a new location. During their 61-year marriage and partnership, the Warrens were survived by their daughter, Judy Spera, two grandchildren, and four great-grandchildren. Lorraine maintained that almost every detail of The Conjuring was accurate. She was a major consultant on the first film, as well as the subsequent sequels and prequels. She told USA Today, quote, The things that went on there were just so incredibly frightening. It still affects me to talk about it today, end quote. Roger and his wife, Carolyn or Caroline Perrin, moved into their Harrisville, Rhode Island, 14-room home in 1970, Spacious. Okay, four. They have five girls, which is a That's lot. That's five rooms, two bathrooms, three bathrooms, five, six, seven, eight. I think when you say room, fourteen kitchen. room, that doesn't count bathrooms. Oh, I think that's a bathroom. That's a room. I think it's like basement uh, is one room, fourteen bedroom, living, room. dining, formal, sitting. All right, kitchen. It's a pretty spacious home. It's a big home. All right. I don't know about seven people in a fourteen bedroom home, but still, whatevs. I guess you need your space when you're growing up with four other girls. I would want it. <clears throat> Built in 1736, the country home was surrounded by 200 acres of conservation land. It's a classic New England cape with a gabled roof and rustic siding. Hello, Joanna Gaines. <laughs> the stone foundation is original and gives way to about uh, 3,100 square feet. The property had three outbuildings and small, serene river running in the backyard. It seemed like this was the ideal spot for them to raise their five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cynthia, and April. That's like the perfect segue if this was a TV show. It's like, but little did they know. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed the ideal spot. Uh, I think we all know how that's going to turn out. This 14-room home known as the Old Arnold Estate was home to eight generations of the Arnold family, who had a history of tragedies and uncommon deaths. It was here that the Perrin family learned the hard way that there is no veil between the physical and supernatural world. Allegedly, when the Perrins moved in, neighbors advised them to leave their lights on at night. No explanation. Just a little advice. Neighborly advice. If just neighbor... going to get your sugar. <laughs> that hey, would spook uh, me by out. the way, <laughs> should probably keep your lights on. Welcome to the neighborhood. We're so happy you joined us. <laughs> keep your lights on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Starting day one, the family began to notice some bizarre occurrences. There were strange voices in the middle of the night and furniture moving about of its own accord. All of this was fairly common, and it wasn't surprising considering that the house had been the home to several generations of families. Sometimes the broom went missing or seemed to move from place to place on its own. Carolyn would hear the sound of something scraping against a kettle in the kitchen when no one was there. Should find small piles of dirt in the center of a newly cleaned kitchen floor. Funny that how that happens when you have five kids. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these occurrences probably were just brushed off as, oh, that was so-and-so. Oh, I have yeah, 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 a million yeah. kids. Oh, that could be um, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cynthia, or April. <laughs> yeah, take your pick. Yeah. The family experienced firsthand doors that slammed, beds shaking, and apparitions that wandered about. They were even physically harmed by the spirits in the house at some points. Cindy Perrin, one of the girls who grew up in the house, said in an interview, quote, things would either be moved all around in a different position than how I left them, or they would all be shoved up underneath the bed. 
And I would go to my sisters. Of course, you'd go to your sisters and ask, hey, what do you do to my toys? And they'd say, nothing. Why would I mess with your toys, Cindy? The girls even claimed that the ghosts tucked them in at night and kissed them on the foreheads. Cynthia Perron said, when we first moved into the house, for the first two months, there was a woman that came and kissed me every night on the forehead that I thought was my mother. Andrea, the oldest sister, said, quote, mom smelled like ivory soap and this spirit smelled like flowers and fruit. That smelled, that's like a nice smelling spirit. Mm -hmm. However, Roger and Carolyn were aware something was wrong. Roger would often open the front door and immediately smell something putrefying. Soon the ghosts that the girls had played with were replaced with evil spirits or demons. One day, Cindy said to Andrea that a disembodied voice was telling her about seven bodies that were buried in the wall. Hmm. Carolyn allegedly researched the history of the home and discovered that it had been in the same family for eight generations and that many of them had died under mysterious or horrible circumstances. Several of the children had drowned in the nearby creek, one was murdered, and a few of them hanged themselves in the attic. The house was the site of many violent acts in the house or on the property, so maybe that's why neighbors told the parents to leave their light on after the sun went down. For the most part, the spirits seemed harmless, but there was one ghost who didn't appreciate having to share the home. In the mid-1800s, Bathsheba Sherman, a real person, lived on the parents' family property. Bathsheba Thayer was born in Rhode Island in 1812, and in her early 30s, she married Judson Sherman. He was one year older than her, and about five years later, they had a son named Herbert. The Shermans owned a home. Judson worked during the days while Bathsheba kept the house and looked after their young son. Although it is believed that the Shermans had several other children, a girl and two more boys. There are no records to back this up that we could find, nor the fact that they were meant to have died in their young years. She was rumored to have been a Satanist as well, and there was evidence that she had been involved in the death of a neighbor's child, though no trial ever took place. The pair and sisters described an overwhelming feeling of sadness that would come over a person just minutes of being there. It didn't matter how happy that person had been before they were just overcome with this unexplainable sadness. Andrea Parent said, quote, Everyone who has lived in the house that we know of has experienced this. Some have left screaming and running for their lives. The man who moved in to begin the restoration to the house, when we sold it, left screaming without his car, without his tools, and without his clothing. He never went back to the house, and consequently, the people who owned it, the adjacent landowners, never moved in, and it sat vacant for years. End quote. Where'd he go without his car? Where'd he go without his clothing? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> he just went. Maybe he was never there. Maybe he was a ghost. Oh, come on. Ghostception. Ghostception. Who knows? I don't know where he went. The man's nameless. He couldn't find any record of him either. Huh. Hope he's okay. I'm, sh- I'm sh- sure he bought new tools and a new car and some new clothes. Some clothes. <laughs> Started over in a- another world without yeah, his maybe. name. Bathsheba's hauntings at the house began as a harmless poltergeist activity, and the parent family members were prodded, poked, or pinched. Then it got worse. According to Andrea, the family experienced other spirits as well that smelled like rotting flesh and would cause beds to just rise off the floor. She claims her father would enter the basement and feel a, quote, cold, stinking presence behind him, end quote. They often stayed away from the dirt-floored cellar, but, of course, the heating equipment would often fail mysteriously, which caused Roger to venture down. 
The family would often be awakened every morning at 5.15 a.m. by an overwhelming smell of rotting flesh. Andrea also claimed that a malevolent male spirit tortured the five little girls, but she refused to provide any details of the horror. So the 5.15 a.m. is a little bit different because in the movie it's 7.03 a.m., but I believe in the 307. movie... 3.07. That's, well, 3.07 oh, yeah. is when the clocks stop. It's not that they, like, wake up. Right. Think. But there was no mention of the clock stopping anywhere. So I think that might have just been a movie thing. Might have been. But can you imagine, like, your alarm clock is is not even an alarm clock. It's just the smell of raw yeah. flesh at 5.15 a.m. Mm. Oh, God. That's, That's a tough terrible. one. Yeah. Now, there is a rumor about Bathsheba. The local lore says that Bathsheba was a witch who made a pact with the devil. She was granted youthful beauty, but at a high cost. She was turned into stone upon her death. As a ghost, she was condemned to torture people, possibly out of jealousy for beauty that could never again be hers. Poor Bathsheba. <laughs> I feel you, girl. Mm-hmm. She's getting the worst press still, centuries after her death. First, she's accused of witchcraft, then making pacts with the devil. Now... You all know from our many previous episodes, claims like this were extremely common in New England during the 17th to 19th century. Don't like someone? Which. No evidence? Which. Mm. It's a very easy scapegoat. The story goes that Bathsheba had an infant die in her care. Different sources get a little bit sketchy on just whose baby it was. Some say it was a neighboring family's, while others say it was one of the Sherman children. But the result was the same. The cause of death was found to be an impalement at the base of the child's skull from a large gauge sewing needle, and Bathsheba was in question. Bathsheba probably didn't kill any children, least of all her own. She had four children, three of whom died in early childhood. Yes, today three deaths might raise the alarm with child services, but (laughs) back then infant mortality was particularly high with disease and little to no medications. Since there was no trial, at least in the historical records, she probably didn't murder anyone. And if she did, she got away with it. (laughs) The link with Bathsheba and the haunting was made when Carolyn Perrone was lying on a sofa and she felt a sharp prick in her leg, followed by muscle spasms. When she checked her leg, there was some blood coming from a perfectly circular hole in her leg. It was Lorraine Warren who suggested the mark was similar to to what was described as having been done to the infant who died under Bathsheba's care. Roger Perrin believed the woman entity he saw one night who had hanged herself in the barn was around 90 years old and said she appeared to have a very obvious broken neck and the face seemed to change form, so it started looking like a hornet's nest to that of an old woman with just a vacant stare. I was going to say scare, but then it turned to stare. So I <coughs> scare. Yeah. That's very terrifying to me. Um, yeah. A hornet's nest? Yeah, that's scary. <clears throat> well, that and a woman just hanging from the barn. A very old woman. Yeah, with a broken neck. It reminds me of um, Hill House. <sighs> oh, yeah. That's what I think of, too. Mm. And that image will always be in my head, I think. Oh, me too. Ew, that bone. Mm-hmm. I was so gross. Oh, yeah. The alleged claims that Bathsheba hung herself outside the house may be just part of the movie. Bathsheba never hung herself. Instead, she outlived her husband, Judson, by four years when she died at the age of 72 or 73. Her exact date of birth is not known, but the date of her death was May 25, 1885, listed on her tombstone. 
A physician later claimed that she died following a strange bout of paralysis, probably due to a stroke. She was also buried next to her husband and three children. Her son, Herbert, outlived her, had a family and children of his own. Bathsheba is buried in a nearby Baptist cemetery in downtown Harrisville. Unfortunately, today, Bathsheba's headstone has been broken in half, possibly by vandals or those taunting her in death, but more likely vandals and punks and hoodlums. We've seen that ourselves a lot. Yeah, and a lot of famous gravestones. Yeah, punks. Very sad. The infamous clap and hide game in the movie, The Conjuring, was embellished. Oh, no. Second clap. I don't like that game either. I don't I don't know. I've never yeah. heard of it before this. No, me neither. Yeah. Nope. I don't love clapping. Clapping's scary now to me in the dark. Yeah. I always thought I wanted a clap clap light, but oh, I Oh, I had one of those and actually like sm- like it almost caught on fire, so that was kind of <laughs> scary too. It would like smoke like out the outlet. What? Yeah. That's really scary. It was cool when it worked. You also had to clap really hard and, like, get it perfectly. Mm. And so it actually was kind of annoying. I bet. It probably hurt. Like, you're going to bed and you just, like, bang yeah, your like, hands together. Light off! Oh. Good part. You poor thing. Yeah, I have a really rough childhood. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always wanted one, but now I don't want yeah, it. Yeah, see? You're welcome. This game was embellished from the truth, but the truth is just as scary. If you're not familiar with the game, hide and clap is a variation of a classic hide and seek game. The person who's it is blindfolded and everyone else hides. In the movie, they have three claps until basically it's like a hot or cold game. So if you're hot, you get claps. And if you're cold, then you well, can't hear them. You get claps no matter what, right? So it's basically just hide and seek, but the, the seeker is blindfolded and gets three claps and three chances to say like, okay, everyone clap. And um, like they, they'll go... T- towards people based on the claps obviously and like after three i think you're done yeah and you lose yeah if you didn't find them yeah in the movie the blindfolded mother is tormented by bathsheba who repeatedly claps her hands to taunt her in real life the girls enjoyed playing hide and seek about six months after moving into the house cindy decided to hide in the woodshed to make things a little more fun she climbed into a wood box that had nothing more than a wooden panel covering it No latch, key, or anything else. After waiting for a pretty long time, she realized A, her sisters had stopped playing, B, her sisters couldn't find her, or C, she just got tired of playing. So she decided to let herself out by pushing the panel up, but the panel wouldn't budge. There were no air holes, and Cindy recalls pushing and screaming. 20 minutes later, there was no one to help. Her sister Nancy finally came and simply opened the lid to find Cindy hysterical, sweaty, and unable to breathe. I hate that. That's She probably has claustrophobia. Yeah, PTSD. Also, I wonder why they didn't put that in the movie, because that's scary. That's pretty scary. I don't know. Mm. Mm, Actually, I don't know, though, because I feel like, yeah, that is pretty scary to read. Like, I wouldn't want that. I'd rather have the clap and hide game. But I feel like the suspense of clap and hide was like pretty good you know like if you picture that in like a cinematic yeah but wasn't that still kind of part of it like it was hide and seek she just hid in the thing and couldn't get out oh i feel like they could have added it into the hide and seek game oh maybe yeah they probably could have added it but it was like good because she's like searching the closet and then her daughter comes out behind her and she's like you didn't find me mom yeah In an interview from Trespass Magazine, Cynthia reveals another encounter with Bathsheba, recalling a story, quote, 
I was playing upstairs with the little people, and the door opens to the closet. I thought it was one of my sisters coming through the door, but it wasn't. It was an older woman with her head tilted to the side and her arms out. She was wearing a gray dress with little yellow flowers all over it and a gray apron or a pinafore. She had a handkerchief held out. I looked at the face just for a second, and then I looked down and saw the handkerchief. I didn't see any feet, so I jumped up and bolted. I ran through the next bedroom and down those stairs, but I was running so fast that I missed the landing in the middle of the stairs. So I ended up kind of going down them on my butt. Well, my mom just happened to be coming in from the kitchen, which meets at the bottom of the stairs, and she basically caught me. I was hysterical, and, at the time, holding my back, trying to explain to her what had just happened. And she's more concerned about what's going on with my back. And I'm like, I don't care about that, Mom. She just came to me and said, come to me, little girl. Come to me, little girl. End quote. Ew. No feet. That scared me, too. No feet. Yeah, that was in, they did that with the Hill House Ghost, too. They didn't have, <gasps> or they just all floated. I mean, I guess that's what they do, then. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually never really thought about that. Because if you think about it, stereotypically, ghosts are portrayed as just like floating. Floating. And I don't know. Casper didn't have feet. (laughs) I've definitely seen some like old scary feet in scary movies, but I know that's not something to base my knowledge off of. Yeah, I mean, I I guess they come in different size and packages. (laughs) Yeah, they're all different. Yeah. After several unexplained encounters with this not-so-friendly ghost, this was not Casper... The parents were convinced that Bathsheba was haunting their new home. Most of the parent family had encountered Bathsheba, but it seemed to focus a lot of its attention on the mother, Carolyn Perrin. It would issue verbal warnings regularly, and Bathsheba liked to show up in in person, kind of, just to make sure she was really getting her message across. Andrea, the oldest of the five parent daughters, claims that many spirits resided in the farmhouse as well, including Bathsheba. Perrin told USA Today, quote, Whoever the spirit was, she perceived herself to be mistress of the house, and she resented the competition my mother posed for that position. Bathsheba made it apparent she had she had a thing for Roger, the dad, touching and caressing him inappropriately when she thought he was alone. <laughs> she was jealous and wanted Carolyn out of the house, at one point even appearing in the middle of the night screaming, Get out! Get out! I'll drive you out with death and gloom! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I kind of like that. Are you going to say that to people who yeah, like knock on like, your door? just talking to me too long in my cube. I'll drive you out with death and gloom. No, have you seen those signs people post that is like, no loitering, no yeah, knocking, yeah, 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 unless yeah, you have Girl yeah, Scout yeah. cookies. Yeah, you yeah. can just have a custom-made one. Actually, would you do that? I'd like a custom-made one for my door. Uh, I don't know, maybe. Thanks. Bathsheba seemed to take great pleasure in tormenting Carolyn by slapping and pinching her on many occasions. That's rude. That is really rude. That's, yeah. The parents told a family friend, Barbara, who then quickly turned to Ed and Lorraine Morin, the famous couple paranormal investigators. They were nearby in Connecticut, and after extensive investigating into the parents' claims and the property's history and multiple visits, it became apparent that the spirit of Bathsheba had actually possessed the body of Carolyn. The presence of the Warrens infuriated Bathsheba as she stepped up her game and became more violent. In the end, the Perrin family asked that the Warrens leave immediately, and once the Warrens were gone, Bathsheba left the body of Carolyn, but continued to be a pain around the house. 
It turns out, though, Ed Warren never performed any sort of exorcism because it would have to be done by a Catholic priest. Though the Warrens had worked with priests in the past, this time they opted to summon the spirit with a seance. Andrea Perrin says she secretly watched the actual conjuring. Quote, I thought I was going to pass out, Andrea says. Quote, my mother began to speak a language not of this world in a voice not of her own. Her chair levitated and she was thrown across the room. End quote. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That part in the movie was pretty scary. Yeah. It was scary when um, the chair went upside down. Yeah. And just was like on the ceiling. And he's like, put her down. And they're like, okay. Yeah, and <laughs> and just and drops her flat. Her, yeah, drop her. Oh. That was bad. Unfortunately, like all horror movies, the family found themselves limited by financial constraints, which would keep the parents in their home for the next 10 years. These events took place in the 1970s, and the economy had plummeted due to failed policies and crises in the Middle East. Caroline and Roger had poured their money into the house, and with the failing economy, it was losing value by the day. Why couldn't they stay with friends, you ask? Well, there were five teenage girls, and no one would have had a permanent, semi-permanent place for this entire family of seven to stay comfortably. I'm sure friends and family would love to take on seven <laughs> members into their home, but they would probably politely find another place after like a week. <laughs> yeah, Can you imagine? And that, like every other family has, what, three, four, maybe five people? Like that would be... An outrageous amount of people in one home. I don't know. And plus they're going from like a 14-room house to like... Ooh, true. What, a guest bedroom? All <laughs> seven of them? Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. So the family was forced to remain in the haunted house for nearly a decade. That sucks, dude. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Ah. The family would leave the house whenever they could, and Andrea left for college. Like any siblings would, Cindy soon took over her bedroom right away. Not so much for the bigger bedroom, but she was eager for some goddamn peace and quiet from the ghosts <laughs> because they were haunting her bedroom. When Cindy finished high school, she claimed she cussed out the spirits, told them to do their worst to her because she was leaving the next day. I like that. Yeah, me too. And I like the little safety blanket she gave herself. She's like, you know what? I'll be gone. So you know. yeah, she's like, I'm leaving next day, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm like, F you. Yeah. And then her family's like, oh, change of plans. You'll be staying. <laughs> In 1980, the parents were finally able to sell their home, and they moved away to Georgia to rebuild their lives. Seems like a safe state to move to. It does, yeah. Georgia, peaches. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Right. And Coke. A cola? Yeah. The headquarters are there. Oh. Yep. Fun fact. I think they are. Oh, my God. Now that I'm saying it, I don't actually I have know. No idea. I feel like it is. I'm not going to fact check it, because I'm almost like 50-50. <laughs> yeah, that's a good enough percentage to not <laughs> So, are there any non-believers out there? Ugh, Katie doesn't believe in <laughs> ghosts. Years later, Andrea Perrin wrote a book. Actually, she wrote three books. <laughs> House of Darkness, House of Light. Andrea Perrin says she's never surprised when people don't believe their tale. Quote, both my mother and I would just as soon swallow our tongues than tell a lie. People are free to believe whatever they want to believe, but I know what we experienced, end quote. You would just as soon swallow your tongue. Yeah. That seems a little bit extra. It's just a saying. I guess. Oh, yeah. I guess she, yeah, she grew up in a different 
different time than me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. All right. The home itself still stands and has had many new residents, all of whom have had some kind of encounter with spirits who still reside there. Allegedly. Sadly, the biggest scare for the current homeowner, or the, the last homeowner, mm-hmm. technically, involves real-life people who trespass and steal random stuff, which is just not okay. It's rude. The original Conjuring release brought in a lot of money, but also brought vi- a lot of visitors to the state of Rhode Island. In 2005, a film crew from the Sci-Fi Channel's famous television show, Ghost Hunters, filmed at the home for one of the episodes. They found some evidence of paranormal activity, such as a door opening on its own and what they call cold spots. These findings surprised Norma Sutcliffe and Gerald Helfrich, the owners at the time. Back in 2015, Norma planned to sue Warner Brothers for vandalism and trespassing, adding to all the real nightmares she faced. Sutcliffe said, quote, They come at all times of the day. Last Saturday, I called the police at 3.30 a.m., because there was a whole group of them outside the house. It's horrendous. In a video posted to YouTube, Norma said, quote, we, ne- we will never feel safe and secure again. We have forever lost our sense of peace and privacy, end quote. Norma was adamant the house is not haunted, actually. She insists that ever since purchasing the property, there have been no paranormal disturbances or supernatural events whatsoever, just these pesky trespassers. The couple settled with Warner Brothers out of court. Earlier this year, in 2019, the home was sold from a trust in Norma's name to Maine-based paranormal investigators Corey and Jennifer Heisen for a reported $439,000. The Heisens have been bombarded with requests for visits, (laughs) not (laughs) excluding Kirby. I did Facebook message them and no one reached back out to me. Um, well, they do say that they plan to eventually open the home for tours, so that's exciting. And we will go. We will go. We I know. I'm I'm sad and also, like, kind of sorry to our amazing followers. We couldn't visit any of this that we stuff. couldn't. I know. And it's like, oh, it's right there in Rhode Island. We couldn't visit the museum, the oculent or nope. occult. Occult. Like, occult. We couldn't visit the occult museum because it's closed for zoning. Yeah, I guess some kind of requirements didn't go through. I don't know. And then now the, this house is... So it's just a bad time for us to oh, do this. We couldn't episode, go anywhere. We, did it. we well, did it. you know what, though? If, it, if something opens up soon, we'll go and we'll just do like a follow-up. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because I want to be there. And I thought, I was like, you know, it's changed ownership, and technically they don't live there. I think they're just using the house or renovating it right now to probably open it up for tours or, you know what, maybe they'll do a bed and breakfast. Who knows? But I was really seriously thinking that we could just drive up there and see it. But I was like, you know what? I don't want to be a trespasser. I don't want to do it. Yeah. And, like, what would we – so we would just see the outside of the house and, like, what would we have to say about it? Yep, that's it. Just outside of the house door. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure we can – Go on Google Maps and see it. Like, yeah, I'm excited. I'm here for the tours. Yeah, that sounds cool. So, the Travel Channel also aired a two hour ghost adventure special on the farm on Round Top Road, as the Heinzens have dubbed it. Uh, and that aired on October 31st of this year. Big Halloween special. Mm. You can also follow their updates on their Facebook page, The Farm on Round Top Road. 
The children, who are now adults to this day, still have details about living there that they refuse to discuss. Something happened to the Perrin family while they were living in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Nevertheless, without forensic evidence, there is no way to 100% know for sure what actually happened there. We weren't there. We don't know. We don't. Andrea Perrin firmly believes that, quote, there is a scientific explanation to what happened. We simply simply haven't discovered it yet. I believe that. Okay. That's yeah, a good take. I can get behind that. I mean, sure, we can spell anything we want to and just say it hasn't been discovered yet, but... <laughs> well, that's a little different. <laughs> I mean, yeah, flying dolphins do exist. We just oh my goodness, <laughs> not like that. You can't compare it like that. I know. I'm just kidding. So I kind of get it. We watched a YouTube video where Andrea Perrin was interviewed on the Road Show in Rhode Island, and it was super weird because ah, she's telling him about her experiences. She leans in and just touches his arm, and immediately you can just tell something's wrong. He's freaking out. He's pushing back. He's mm-hmm. like so uncomfortable. He starts like nervously touching. Like, this is the interviewer, or yeah, interviewer. Yeah. And he's like touching himself like all over, like what's happening. And she's just continuing talking in the interview. And then he's like, I have to stop you. Like, I can't hear anything. He's like, as soon as you touched me, I went dead. And I thought he meant he, like, couldn't feel anything. But I guess his, like, mic, everything that yeah, he was connected mic. to, he couldn't hear. Yeah. And so he was like, I have no idea how long we've been on. He's, like, totally freaking out. <laughs> it's literally yeah. like 10 seconds. He was being a little dramatic, but. But he's like, this is so weird. And she's just like, oh, yeah, I've been told I was the ghost. <laughs> she's like, yeah, I do that a lot. Yeah. He was like, Okay. <laughs> It was just really strange to watch it all go down because you could tell it wasn't scripted. It, he was totally thrown off. That was kind of interesting. It was very interesting. So, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Um, also, watch the movie. Like, it gives a lot of good context. We watched it just Pretty before well this to try to get in the mood. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. I guess it's hard for me to know how much of the movie is like was faked and how much of it is what they say actually happened to them so um i don't know i mean it definitely is scary because it's scary to think about that kind of stuff happening but i was confused because i didn't realize like annabelle was a different movie and i was like (laughs) why is this doll like not in this movie at all i thought it was all about the doll but I guess it's a separate movie. And then it was funny because at the very end, yeah, Ed and Lorraine are like, oh, like, good job. Also, like, couple goes throughout the whole movie. I yeah, was like, seriously. damn, like, they're killing it and they're so cute. Um, Yeah, but at the very end, they're like, yeah, we got to go. Like, the priest called and said they have something in, yeah. what is it? Um, New York. Sta- Staten Island Long or something? Island, yeah. Long Island. Um, And that's Amityville. Mm-hmm. Which is not in New England. No. But that house actually was sold recently as well. And the owner tried to completely reface the outside to stop, to- um, not tourists, trespassers and the likes from trying to get a peek at their house, trying to break in, trying to just be there because they're just trying to live a normal the life. The Amityville house, you mean? Mm-hmm. I've never seen that movie. It's good. You should. Yeah. I've seen all of them. Okay. I will say the Annabelle doll. Is a raggedy and doll. Like, <laughs> it doesn't look the same. 
No, yeah, how they show it in this movie, yeah. Because I've seen, like, the, you've seen, have you seen the picture of, like, this is the real doll in the case? Yeah. <laughs> it it's literally, a rag, like, a raggedy Which Ann doll. Which I guess for, again, theatricals, theatrics, a raggedy Ann doll, like, prancing about the hallway doesn't give you the same vibe as this doll with a cracked face and blood running down her face. I guess. I guess. But they did not stick true to the, that's like the, um... <laughs> reenactments that you hate and i love yeah because the people just look so different so different yeah Uh, they got they basically reenacted this doll with an actor that looked (laughs) so different which watch it on netflix that netflix reenactment show is really good just give it a try what it's the two minute scary movies or something they do a really good job of the scary looking i think i now that you have described the I think I've seen one. Did you? Which one was it? Was it the first or second one? I have no idea. It was like a bunch of like teen or like maybe living in one house, something year olds. Living yeah, in living house. in one house. Yeah. So that was season two. So you watched episode one of season two. Oh, because we did the same thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I the whole time I was just like these people are just on acid. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I do want to watch the two set. So it's different. I think the two sentence horror stories are completely different than, than what I was talking about. That's not the same episode or same TV show. That one I want to watch. I don't actually remember what I was watching. (laughs) Hang on. It should be under my like, Oh, it was like something about like a real. Oh, haunted. Haunted. Yeah. Yeah. They do a really good job of portraying the scary parts pretty well, but the actors and actresses don't look anything like each other, but it's okay. That's and fine. also, there's a lot of nudity in it. Oh, is there? Yeah. It's crazy. Like, it's very unnecessary. Like, it just shows them taking baths completely <laughs> naked, which I get. You're not going to be in clothes. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just like, what? And then all of a sudden, there's, like, a really scary part, and you're just, like, so conflicted and confused. Or, like, the girl is alone in a house, and she's, like, wandering the house, but she's wearing a white tank top with no bra at night. So that sounds like, yeah, a horror movie. Yeah. But the scary parts are pretty good, I will admit. So it's worth it. I'd give it a shot. Take a watch. Take a gander. Maybe I'll give it a shot. Recommend things on Netflix to us. We're already Ooh, always yeah. stuff. Hello, Netflix. <laughs> what should I watch, guys? It doesn't have to be scary. In fact, I'd probably would prefer not to be scary. Really? <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. I I need something lighthearted at night. Eggs and ham, green eggs and ham. You gotta watch that show. I also recommend that. It's highly enjoyable. Maybe it's got some adult humor in there. I don't know if you can take it, but it's uh, very lighthearted and pretty freaking funny. Maybe I'll give it a go. Huh? He has like an animal for toupee, so there's a really windy scene where he just like blows his toupee off and showing the animal like holding on to this one piece of hair. Yeah, I wouldn't find that funny. <laughs> it's so cute. Everything in there is just so cute. Um, what's another recommendation? Um, just Did Hallmark. Just turn into a Netflix <laughs> recommendation. Though. Just watch Hallmark Christmas movies. It's the season. Just do it. That's all I got. That's all my recommendations. Well, with that, another episode, another week. Quick reminder: we are not doing an episode over Thanksgiving week. Correct. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Yeah. Happy early Thanksgiving. Eat lots of turkey. And if you don't like turkey, eat something else. Eat anything your little heart's desire. I'm most excited for green bean casserole.
Yeah, you're gonna make it. Mm-hmm. Now they have the recipe. Yep, off the French's Woo-hoo! French onion crunchy chips. <laughs> French onion onion chips. <laughs> They're so good. Oh, I'm so excited. I don't know why I don't make it year round. I literally only make it in the month of November, and I love it. It's my favorite. Same. I think it's because it's not an actual meal. It's more of a side dish, and like. Yeah, you wouldn't think because you kind of have to put some effort to it. Like you wouldn't you do. do that for just a side dish for a meal. No. Got boil the green beans, cut them, chop I mean, them, really dice them, do whatever you want. Stick them in a pan. Thirty minutes. I, me, and my mom sometimes have burgers, like in the summer, and we'll we'll do like onion on the burger, and we'll do barbecue sauce, and we'll put those onions on it. Yeah, those are really good. You can really utilize those onions, and I don't. I don't either. So send us your cooking tips, send us your Netflix recommendations, and send us your crazy New England stories. Please and thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Okay, sorry. So in that in that TV show Haunted, they'll say like a really sad or scary line. And then there's these people that they bring in that they're telling the story to, which is like their family members, their cousins. And someone always just goes, Yeah. <laughs> and that's all they have to contribute to the TV show. Yep. <laughs> and, like another one, she's telling like an affirmation or a confirmation or something, and the lady just goes, "Yup," and that's it. Like the camera pans on her for a little bit because they're waiting, and she's just like, "I have spoken." Like, that's it. That's funny. so that reminded me of it. Okay, okay, but wrap up. Take all us right. away. Um, with what? Nor plug. Oh, I don't can't do those. Okay, yeah, I can. Okay. <clears throat> All right, here's our plug. Follow us on Instagram, killer at Killer Babes Podcast. Facebook, Killer Babes Podcast. Email Killer Babes Podcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Killer Babes Pod. <laughs> I think that's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's good. Okay, good. We have too many. Oh, I'm too old for this. Yeah. We really only <laughs> use our Instagram, so follow us there. Because literally no one emails us. Yeah. It's sad. It's sad. We get DMs, though. We get some sliders. We get... Yeah. But that's yeah. about it. Keep sliding, guys. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy, just again. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> we'll see you next time. See ya. Bye.